Good morning, church. Um, my name is Greg, and uh, I'm reading the second reading, which is uh, Luke 7, starting at 36. Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, is this man, sorry, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't, did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And we give thanks for this, the word of God. Thank you, Greg. Now, I really love this story that we're going to be focusing on this morning and it really is a story that has something to say to all of us, and so let's, let's consider it. Let's ask God again for his help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this story recorded, that we might know more of the Lord Jesus, his love for us, and how we must respond as he has forgiven us much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to ask, what would you do for love? What I mean is, what would you do to express your love? And I suspect this is true for all of us. The more we love someone, then the more extravagant, expensive, costly ways in which we show that love. That makes sense, doesn't it? You love someone more, you treat them better, you give them more, you're, you're more lavish towards them. That sort of makes sense. And so when we buy gifts and presents, if we love someone, maybe a gift from Kmart will do but you love them more. Now we're talking David Jones, Myers. But you love them even more. Now we're talking about the French brands I can't even pronounce, like Yves Saint Laurent or something like that. <laughs> and if you don't love them at all, maybe it's the reject shop. 
Or it's even seen in where we take people to eat. You love them, Maccas will do. Love them more. Now we're talking about box hill dumplings. Love them even more. Now we're talking about steak and lobster. And if you don't love them at all, now we're talking about vegetarian stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with that. How do I express my love to Yvonne? Well, this was something I did years ago, almost 20 years ago, in fact. And I share this not to blow my own trumpet or anything like that. You just have to speak to Yvonne, and she would say, it's all gone downhill from then. But anyway, this was one, one thing I did on our wedding night. I wanted to begin our marriage with a nice, symbolic, meaningful way to express to her, this is how I'm going to love you. This is what I want to do in our marriage. This is the way I want our marriage to be uh, looking like. And so on our wedding night, I, we were both really tired and wrecked, but I got a bucket of warm water, got her to sit down, and I washed her feet. Again, I'm not blowing my own trumpet, because now all I do is mow the lawn and take out the bins sometimes. But that's something I would do for Yvonne. I wouldn't do that for just anyone. What would make someone do what we read in this passage? towards a stranger, something so extravagant, so lavish, so humiliating? What would it take to do something like that? Or what did it take for this woman to do what she did for Jesus? Such extraordinary, extravagant display of humility and love. Well, let's consider this story. Well, first we meet Simon, a Pharisee. Now, Pharisees, they were the teachers of the law, the leaders of God's people. They were the big shots. And so to be invited by a Pharisee, that was a big deal. This Pharisee welcomed Jesus into his home, extended hospitality. It's all sounding good at this moment. And so now at this banquet, they all reclined around the table. Now, in case we're a bit confused, what does it mean for Jesus to recline at the table? It wasn't as though Jesus is on the table lying down. But in the culture, the tables were down low and you would lean towards the table on your left arm and elbow and you would eat with your right and your legs would be stretched behind you. And of course, as you entered the house, you would have taken your sandals off just like you know, an Asian house. And it was common that at these big public banquets, it was public, it was a big affair. And so you have people come in and out just to see, just to listen what was going on. And then we meet in this story, verse 37, Literally, a woman of the city, a sinner. Now, what does that mean? A woman of the city, a woman in the city. She worked in the city, she lived in the city. What did this mean? Well, it was most likely that she was a prostitute of the city, a woman of the city, a sinner. Now, of course, for anyone to end up in prostitution like what happened to her, not only was she a sinner, but she was, of course, sinned against as well. And we read she's holding this alabaster jar. Now, these were small jars with no handles and a long, thin, narrow neck. And women of means, the wealthier women, would wear them around their necks. They would be tied around the neck. Now, why would they do that? Well, imagine the ancient world, the desert place, the dry heat, the dusty roads, and the condition of the living conditions, not like what we enjoy today. You know, people did not have daily showers. You don't have shampoo and conditioner. You don't have facial cream and hand cream and this cream and that cream. 
And so you can just imagine the smell of any person in the ancient world would have been quite something. You know, you've been next to someone who's got bad BO. That was everyone in the ancient world. And so this woman of means, she had this alabaster jar. And especially for her trade, if she was a prostitute. And so these perfumes would let off an aroma. You can't pour it out because the neck was so narrow. You can't pour it out. But it will let off an, a nice sweet fragrance, an aroma. The oil, the ointment inside, you can't pour it out, but you can smell it. And that was her prized possession. And so what did she do? Well, we have to try to picture this scene. They're at the banquet. Everyone's leaning in towards the table. They're eating, they're chatting. And we see this scene of amazing humility. She approaches Jesus from behind. Verse 38, have a look. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. I mean, washing Yvonne's feet, that's one thing. She's my wife. But to wash the feet of a stranger, that is something else. Now remember the ancient world again. You don't shower every day. Walking around in the dusty roads, the filth here and filth there. Not wearing shoes, clothes, shoes and socks, but sandals. The feet was not the most appealing part of the body. But this woman, she was overwhelmed with emotions. Weeping, tears dropping to wet the feet of Jesus. Wiping his feet with her hair. Which means, if you think about that, we saw it in the kids' talk, which means she had to let her hair down. Now, if we know something of Jewish culture, that was significant. You see, you don't do that as a Jewish woman, not in public anyway. You're only allowed to let your hair down at home before your husband, no one else. It was shameful in public. In fact, the rabbis would say that that's grounds for divorce if you did that in public. You don't do such a thing. It's why even today... Orthodox Jews in public, you don't see their real hair. They're, in fact, wearing wigs. But she didn't care. Did not care what people thought. Came to Jesus with absolute humility. And she kissed his feet. And her alabaster jar, I mean, there's no way to pour out the perfume. No way at all. She had to break it. Break its neck. And her most precious, expensive possession broken and poured out upon the feet of Jesus. Not, not his head. That's where you normally anoint someone, on the head, on the hair. But on the dirtiest part of his body, and he was still worthy enough for her most expensive perfume. I mean, she didn't care. People would have been watching, staring, what is going on here? Shocked, disgusted, but she was not embarrassed. Do not run away. I mean, that's what we would do when people stare, we'll run away. Now, I don't know about you, but when you read that much of the story, I found it so surprising that Jesus did not stop her. Do you find that surprising? Jesus did not stop her at all, allowed her to continue to do her thing. I mean, when anyone expresses extraordinary love towards me, I feel really uncomfortable. If you're very generous towards me, I feel really uncomfortable. I mean, if you offered to wash my car, I feel a little bit uncomfortable, but you know, if you really want to, it's pretty dirty. Do it after the service, I don't mind. But if you were to come to me and you say, Oh, Reverend John, oh, Pastor John, let me wash thy feet. 
I would feel very uncomfortable to do that. I'm not worthy of that. But of course here Jesus didn't. Isn't that interesting? We'll find out why later. We'll come back to that. And so what we see here was an amazing display of humility. One who knew, I am poor in spirit, just like in the Beatitudes. I'm spiritually bankrupt. She went above and beyond even what a slave would do. And so she's done that. Now we turn our focus to Simon. You see, Simon is the other character in this story. Though it seems like this story is just about the woman, what she did with Jesus, we cannot forget Simon. In fact, we can't really understand this story without understanding Simon as well. In fact, in this story, if you notice, Jesus has far more to say to Simon than he did to the woman. In, in the Greek, 102 words to Simon and only 12 words to the woman. Perhaps that shows something here of who Jesus was. Gentle and patient towards Simon. Did not dismiss him, did not send him off. And so how did Simon respond here? Well, perhaps his posture says it all, muttering to himself. Verse 39, have a look. If this man were a prophet, he would, not, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. I mean, that's him being a bit stuck up, isn't it? Arms crossed, looking down his nose at the woman, feeling like this is just disgusting. What are you doing here, lady? This is, this is scandalous. But also looking down, not just at the woman, but also at Jesus. Looking down his nose at Jesus. I mean, this is scandalous, Jesus. Why would you let her touch you? If you were a prophet, you should have known. So maybe you're not a prophet, or maybe you're just impure and unclean and you don't care. And he's thinking, I've got a far higher standard than Jesus. Now what's significant at this point is that you work out right there and then the religion of Simon. His understanding of how we are to live, how we can get to God. You see, his religion was one of self-righteousness. His religion was one where there's a spiritual pecking order and the aim is to get up on this pecking order so that you can get closer to God. That's how you come closer to God. And so the filthy, dirty people, they're down below, the sinners, but I'm up here, I'm closer to God and there is no way someone like her can come close to God. You see, his attitude was a bit like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. I deserve more because I earned more. And that's how many people think. Perhaps even some of us. There's a pecking order. We need to work our way up to God. Now, what did Jesus do at this point? Well, he knew exactly what Simon was thinking. No hiding from Jesus at all. And Jesus used this opportunity to get Simon's religion right. Jesus gave him an important lesson. Jesus taught him a parable about forgiveness. And so again, we see the patience of Jesus trying to teach him trying to bring him over look at verse 41 two men owed money to a certain money lender one owed him 500 denarii the other 50 neither of them had the money to pay him back so he cancelled the debts of both now which of them will love him more that's a parable and if you think about it it's pretty straightforward it's really easy to understand two in debt two can't pay and two debts cancelled. 
And the response of love and gratitude matches the amount that was forgiven. It makes sense. Pretty simple. But what Jesus was also doing here was in fact confronting Simon's religion. He got it all wrong. Simon, you think you, you sinned little, 50 denarii, but you're still a sinner. And there's no way you can pay that debt. And so in reality, you're on the same side as the woman, the one who, who owed 500 denarii. You're no closer to God. You're still on the other side. And there's a big chasm between us. You see, there's still a debt to God and you cannot pay Simon. And you're not any, any more worthy than she is. You're just as dead, spiritually speaking. You're just as dead. You're just as bad in a state like hers. You, you've got nothing unless it's forgiven. You have no access to God. Timothy Keller, he, he's got this wonderful illustration which I really love and you know, it's his. He says it's a bit like, just say you go to sleep and a poisonous spider crawls into your bed, bites you and you die in your sleep. Or you go to sleep and a ferocious roaring lion comes and maws you and dismembers you and decapitates you and your blood and guts is everywhere. Which one is more dead? They're both dead. One's dead looking pretty. One's pretty ugly. But both are still dead. And so Simon, you're no better. You still owe a debt. You can't pay it. You're just as dead. And so Jesus was confronting his religion. You got it wrong, Simon. Jesus wanted him to see that her response was because she understood how much she was forgiven. And so Jesus asked, which of them will love him more? Verse 43, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. And that should be enough, should have been enough for Simon to recognize, okay, I got it wrong. She's responding that way because she has been forgiven much. He should have seen that and rejoiced. Praise God, a sinner is forgiven. But then what did Jesus do now? Well, look at what Jesus does. He now puts Simon in stark contrast to the woman. He looks at the woman now. He's still speaking to Simon. And what does he say? He praises the woman. Praises the woman, not Simon. Look at verse 44. Do you see this woman? I reckon that's a... That's a weighty question. Do you see her? Do you really see her? Do you see her the way I see her? Verse 44, I came into, into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. I mean, you welcomed into my home, Simon, but she welcomed me into her heart. And you show not even the courtesy you will show anyone else, not even the bare minimum of giving me some water for my feet. You will do that for any other guest. Verse 45, you do not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Now, of course, Simon would be at this point thinking, you expect me, Jesus, to lose my dignity, to lose my respectability, to get on my knees like the woman and to kiss your feet? Are you for real, Jesus? What's the answer? 
Well, yes. If you knew your debt, you would. And then Jesus continues, verse 46. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Now, again, we have to understand the significance, the cost, the weight of what the woman did in doing such a thing. You see, for a single woman in her trait, that alabaster jar was a precious possession. It was what she treasured. It was not just very expensive, but really her identity. This is what's giving me life. This is what's allowing me to live my worth, my significance in society. It's where my investments went. But now it's all broken. Broken and poured out. You can't use it again. It's broken, poured out at your feet, Jesus. My identity, that was the jar, but now it's broken before your feet. I count it as all loss compared to knowing you. It's as nothing compared to being with you. But Simon, he showed no love to Jesus because he loved other things so much more. My dignity, my respectability, my position, my place in society. I can't give that up for you, Jesus. But she did. You see that wonderful contrast? That's why we have to understand Simon in this story, to understand this story rightly. And then verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Now, we need to reflect on that verse for a moment. In case we're thinking here, she had to love so much so that Jesus might respond with a great forgiveness, that is not right at all. The parable told us that. In fact, the second part of that verse tells us that. See the second part? He who has been forgiven little, loves little. And so you see, her amazing love, her display of humility, was not the basis of her forgiveness, but it was evidence that she was already forgiven. It was not so that she can make Jesus forgive her, but because she knew she was already forgiven. Her love was a response to the forgiveness she knew. And we can't get that wrong. But why was she able to love in such a way? Because you imagine her life. Now she has finally found true love. Fulfilling, satisfying love in the Lord. And I can let my hair down. I don't care what other people think. I don't care if they're staring. I'm going to kiss his feet. Jesus did not reject me. Did not avoid me. Did not find me disgusting. Did not consider me too filthy. Did not consider me too far from his grace. I found true love. I'll give it all for him. I found one who truly loves me so, so much. And that's why Jesus was so willing to let her Love him the way she did. He was not embarrassed by it. I mean, I'll be embarrassed if someone wants to wash my feet up, but not Jesus, because he was worthy of it. Because one day soon, he'll give up his life for her. And so I really love what we see in this story. And I really love now what we see in this final scene. Just as everyone was listening in, staring, disgusted, scandalous this thing making their judgments jesus did not care at all what they were thinking i mean she didn't care and so jesus now turns to the woman they call you all sorts of things ignore it don't worry about what they say 
This is what I want you to know. Verse 48. Your sins are forgiven. Everything. The whole lot. Which would have been so, so sweet to her ears. But for the others, it peeved them off. Who is this Jesus who who takes on the prerogative of God to forgive sins? But ignoring all the noise, what did Jesus do? He still focused on this woman, just her. It's as though no one else was there, just her. Verse 50, your faith has saved you. Now we're meant to understand here, she got far more than just forgiveness. You see, to say to someone, you're forgiven means you can go off now, go off. I won't hold a grudge against you, you can go off. But to say that you're saved, now you can come near. You can come near to the Son of God. You can come near to my Father in heaven. You have a place in heaven. You have it all. And so verse 50 again, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In fact, it's literally, it's go into peace. Not in peace, but into peace. You see, rabbis how that to say to someone, go in peace, is what you say to bid farewell to the dead. But Jesus, he says, go into peace. Go into a newness of life. Go into a life with me, with my Father in heaven. Go into a life you have never known until now. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? The tenderness of Jesus, the extent of his grace, the forgiveness he offers. But of course, this story is meant to teach us and affect us and affect also our affections. The story now turns on us. And I want us all to reflect and to consider your own heart. Who are we like more in this story? Simon or the woman? Who are you like more? Who are you closer to? Am I more like Simon? I mean, I don't mind getting getting to know Jesus a bit. I'll invite him over to my home. But I don't want to get too personal like the woman. I don't mind inviting Jesus over. But don't expect me, Jesus, to hand everything over to you. I don't mind loving Jesus a little. But don't expect me to love him with all that I am. I mean, that's Simon's type of religion. You see, is our Christianity is the way we live as Christians. More like Simon's or more like the woman's. You see, Jesus, for some of us, if he's just an add-on, I've tacked Jesus onto my life, then that's just like Simon. Where he does not take center place. Where, does, where he's not the center of my heart. Where he's not worthy of all my love. I hand him some things, but I, I hold some things back. It's like that alabaster jar i'm not willing to break it for anyone i'm going to hold tight onto that jar it's so precious to me i won't lose it and i won't give it up and so that's something for us to reflect on what's my alabaster jar something that i'll hold on to that i'll never give up not even to jesus if my jar is comfort my comfort then i'll never choose Anything that will be uncomfortable for the sake of the kingdom. I will never choose anything that will inconvenience me for the sake of the kingdom. And if that is how this generation is, then we can't expect a new generation of gospel workers, of tent makers, of missionaries. 
or if my jar that I will not let go of is the approval of others, my friends, my parents, my peers, my colleagues, then I'll never let my hair down. I'll always put on a show. It'll be always a wig. I'm too self-conscious. And I'll never stand my ground on the authority of Scripture as the tidal wave of secular ideology sweep through not just society, but the churches. When people stare and sneer and we feel rejected, will we hold on to that jar? Or is my jar my wealth and prosperity? If it is my jar and I'll never let it go, I'll never learn generosity. And I'll never find absolute security in Jesus Christ. This is not too hard to assess, is it? Are we more like Simon? Or are we more like the woman? Because if we love Jesus just a little, what does it mean? If we think like Simon, I'm just the 50 denarii. Not the 500 or the 5,000, I'm just the 50. If we only love Jesus a little, what does it mean? It means we have not really understood the gravity, the weight, what it meant for Jesus to pay that debt. You see, the parable was not permission for any Christian at all to love Jesus a little. That would be the absolutely wrong way to understand that parable. You see, whether we feel like our sins are 50, 500, 5,000, the difference, remember, is being between pretty dead or ugly dead, we're still dead and we'll face the judgment of God. You see, for the debt to be cancelled, what was required? It was the same. The same costly sacrifice of the Son of God on the cross of Calvary. The same sacrifice. It wasn't as though Jesus thought, well, you sinned a little. And Jesus thought, well, you only said a few lies. You've lost it with your mind, but not with your heart. Only a few, well, that will only require one liter of my blood to be shed for you. But you over here, you were unfaithful to your wife. You love your career more than your children. Well, maybe that might mean now you require my right arm as a sacrifice. Not at all. What do we get of Jesus? We got all of him. That's not how it works. Our offense is still against the God of heaven and earth. And for all of that, Jesus said, I had to shed all my blood and give all my life for you. So you all have been forgiven much because that was the cost. Not part of me, not some of my blood, but all of it. The debt required was my life. You see, we are all debtors of grace. And we're, we're more mindful of our indebtedness. The more we are mindful of it, the more we understand God's grace for us. I love how one Puritan preacher, Thomas Watson, he once said, Until sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Until I see the ugliness, the heinousness, the depravity of my own sin against God Almighty, the holy, righteous God, it will remain bitter. Christ will remain not that sweet. But if I understand the bitterness of my sins, then Christ becomes so, so sweet to me. 
You see, when we love Jesus little, it is because we don't understand the cross. And if we don't understand the cross, it's because we don't understand the depravity, the ugliness of our sins. And so what this means is there should never be any Simons amongst us. None of us can say, Jesus, I'll just love you a little bit because I didn't sin too much. There should not be one Simon amongst us, but all of us, we are to be like that woman. I've not fallen too far from grace, and so so, I'm so overwhelmed by the love of Jesus. I don't care what people say about me, how I show my affections to Jesus. I don't care what the world thinks. I'm not going to be embarrassed by it. I'm not going to be embarrassed by standing firm on Scripture, standing up for Jesus. I'm going to let it all go. I'm going to let my hair down. I'm going to weep. I'll place all things at his feet and I'll break it. It's destroyed. I don't care because I have him. My certificates at his feet. My degrees at his feet. My house, my car at his feet. My comfort, my ambitions. I break it all. Jesus, it's not worth anything compared to all at your feet. All broken at the feet of our Lord. It makes you think, doesn't it? If Jesus were to come and enter our church building today, how many of us will stand far side like Simon with our arms crossed? And how many of us will be rushing to Jesus, weeping, hair down, kissing his feet? Queen Victoria, once ruler over the British Empire, at the height of its power, though queen and powerful, She once said this, I should so love to lay my crown at his feet, the feet of Jesus. That is to love Jesus more. That is to be like the woman. I'm all sold out for Jesus. I love him so much. And he is worthy of it. Because why? You know that old wonderful hymn, why? When I survey the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. And notice the last verse. Were the whole realm of nature mine, if I owned the whole world, that were present far too small. It's too small as a gift to the Lord. Love so amazing, so divine, demands part of me? No. Demands my soul. My life, my all. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your dear Son, Jesus Christ, so gentle, so tender, so patient with us, who extended a forgiveness like we've never known, that our debts can be paid. And so help us, Lord, just like this hymn, that love so amazing, so divine, which demands my soul, my life, my all, that we will give it all to him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.